You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. It is Friday, June 9th, and it's good to be with you today as it is each and every day from 3 to 5. And I hope you are having a good Friday. Got some good Friday plans coming up. We have a, a guest probably in uh, in these. We lead off the show here, but we don't have him on the phone now. Normally on Fridays, what we do is uh, open line Friday. So we'll let you call about anything you want. And, uh, you know, sometimes on Friday, there's just so many things going on and people have a lot to talk about. But it seems like a slow news day to me. Like, is there any story that's going on that is on people's mind? Is there anything happening that is uh, different. Well, of course there is. So we will get to that on the program today and take your calls on those things. You know, part of the subject that we are starting out with as we wait for our guest here is a lot of the subjects in the news today are, of course, issues related to LGBTQ and and the protests that are happening at schools. I think one of the things that we're going to see at this fall It'll tone down probably a little bit over the summer. But I think the kind of protest that we've seen outside of uh, outside of the school here in Glendale and in North Hollywood and around the country, I think we're going to see that everywhere pretty soon. I think that's going to be pretty huge. And there's a couple of things about it that I think we need to make clear. One of the topics of our show this week was those things and making sure that we keep what's really clear and realizing a few things. Number one, we talked about not being violent uh, and that even if other people are picking the fight, because what happens is is the the media is not on the side of the parents, and the people who are doing a lot of the reporting are not on the sides of the parents. And in fact, if it wasn't for social media and a lot of the videos coming out, you would get a different story of what happened. This, for example, is a PBS reporter uh, asking a question of President Biden uh, about this this week, although really she's making a statement here. Here's the question. Laura Barone Lopez with the PBS NewsHour. All over the country, Mr. President, Republican-led states are passing laws, uh, passing anti-LGBTQ, anti-transgender laws that restrict rights and medical care. Now, I just want to stop. I'm going to maybe pause through this because we need to hear these things for what they are. It's about the kids, the protests the outrage that's happened, the different conversations about protest and this and that, the, the, these things have been happening for years, the, the rainbow flag and transgender stuff, a whole bunch of stuff. But this year, so much more has been targeted towards children. That's the difference. And that's something that we have got to make sure that we keep in mind. But that's not what gets presented so often when uh, reporters and other people um, report these things. Anti-transgender laws that restrict rights and medical care. Intimidation is on the rise. This week, anti-LGBTQ protesters turned violent in California. And see, that's not right. What did you hear there? LGBTQ protesters turned violent in California. No, what happened is Antifa showed up and Antifa started it and there was some punches thrown. Okay, but it's not like one side decided to gather together and just attack. See, that's, that is the message, and it irritates me, angers me, that this gets reported this way. But I think that there is something for us to learn on all kinds of things, the way they get reported, is that there are people out there who are deliberately skewing what's true because of a agenda, political agenda. And that happens on both sides, by the way. 
We'll probably talk about that later. There is, in this case, a refusal to acknowledge that kids are the subject. In the abortion debate, for example, what we hear is women's reproductive rights or women's reproductive health care and that everybody should have the right to their own body and those kinds of things that I think in general people might agree with that with respect to a whole lot of things. But what's left is does the child have rights? The kids are left out. And that same thing is happening here in the way this is being discussed for kids, for the kids in the LGBTQ debate, things happening in schools. It's about the kids. It's about whether or not seven-year-olds should have grown men in dresses dancing provocatively in front of them at public schools and why parents would ever be in favor of that or why those things are being hidden from parents, why certain sexual things being taught in schools is happening to little kids and parents either being deliberately out of the loop or just not being told you know, or missing, you know, I think sometimes an email gets sent out by the schools and nobody reads it, right? I think that happens. But I think there's an assumption or has been an assumption that that stuff would never happen in schools. And what's happening now is people are discovering. If you want to join the conversation, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This is Pastor Scott Show. This is PBS reporter asking a question of President Biden talking about uh, and just mentioned the violence that erupted from what she says is LGBTQ protesters in California. ...is on the rise. This week, anti-LGBTQ protesters turned violent in California. And also recently, I spoke to the parents of a transgender girl in Texas who told me that they're afraid and that they're considering leaving not just their state, but the country. Sir, why do you think this is happening? And what do you say to parents like the ones that I spoke to, to those families who are contemplating leaving the country because they don't feel safe anymore. Now, I got I brought that question up because that question completely, number one, it's a speech. Number two, it misrepresents what happened here in California. And it's misrepresenting the large, more than half the country, you know, because we saw this in Maryland. We saw this with uh, where it was Muslim people saying, don't teach this to our kids, our little kids. This shouldn't be a part of it. The president, by the way, when he answered, he he didn't really get there to the question, but he said, hey, afterward, give me the number of this family and I'd like to give him a call. I'll tell you what, I'll bet that reporter doesn't have the family. That's just the the cynicism that I have is there's not some family. They're planning on leaving the country. Where are they going to go? A lot of the world, there's absolutely zero rights, actually, for you if you have transgender beliefs. And if you go to Western Europe, most of those countries are way ahead of us now in rejecting what's called gender-affirming care, but what we're talking about is puberty blockers and surgeries to remove body parts and stuff for kids. And Western Europe is rejecting all of that because the science that's coming back now says it's bad for children. So there's all of this going on, and I think that gets us uptight. It gets us wound up. It's frustrating, and I think because of that, and I don't think it's just religious people. I think it's going to be parents across the board. And then the second part of the conversation that for us to do as Christians is this. Behind all of this, I believe, is a particular agenda that really isn't about trans people or gay people. It's a, it's a political agenda. It is a power play. It's about money. There's a whole lot of other things. And I, and I think that a lot of these people are being abused by that system. But how do we as Christians, to back off from the, the hostilities that are there and the frustrations how do we love people who are in our relational world 
that are LGBTQ, where I think a lot of this is not something that we're going to see on the news, and it's not part of the the back and forth. How do we love people in the way that Jesus wants us to love people who have profound disagreements in worldview, but God has placed them in our life? How do we love them in a way that is God-honoring, that is scriptural, without losing our 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 position before the Lord, our position of the gospel without losing our doctrinal base, but love people in a way that shines the light of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Do we have our guest uh, uh, with me to talk about this is a special guest, Caleb Kaltenbach. Caleb is with me. Welcome to the show, Caleb. Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. All right. Hey, it's great to have you on. And uh, Caleb is the research pastor at Shepherd Church in Los Angeles. He's also the founder of the Messy Grace Group, where he helps churches love and foster community with LGBTQ individuals without sacrificing theological convictions. And he's the author of several books, including Messy Truth, God of Tomorrow, and Messy Grace, where he discusses being raised in the LGBTQ community, following Jesus, and how loving others doesn't require shifting beliefs. Caleb, thanks for being with me. And, you know, there has been so much conversation about this issue this year, maybe more than others. And you have a unique, I wouldn't say unique at all, but you have a a perspective on it that I think believers need to know about. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story? No, absolutely. Um, I'm originally from uh, Columbia, Missouri, and Kansas City. My parents were both professors at the University of Missouri, Columbia. And when I was two years old, they divorced, and both of them went into same-sex relationships. My dad had several different friends, but my mom was in a 22-year monogamous relationship with a woman named Vera. They were activist-oriented. They moved to Kansas City. And so my whole childhood, I was raised in uh, an activist whole household. I was raised in the LGBTQ community. I grew up with my mom and her partner took me to pride parades and campouts and uh, uh, clubs and bars and just about everything else. And I saw how a lot of Christians treated them, yeah. like uh, protesting at their parades, even throwing water and urine on people in the parade. And the Christians uh, were doing that. Christians were doing this and saying, God hates you, no room for you. Yeah. And I remember as a kid looking at my mom and, and asking, why are they doing this? And my mom said, and I'll never forget, it was like it was yesterday. She said, Caleb, those are Christians and they hate gay people. If you are not like them, they will not like you. And so my whole childhood, I grew up thinking that Christians hated gay people. And even more than that, I thought I never want to be a Christian, because if they're this bad and Jesus is their leader, I can't imagine how awful he must be. Mm. And so I joined a Bible study to learn how to disprove the Bible, but I became a Christian, and I changed my view to, of sexuality to what I hold today, that God designed sex to be expressed in a marriage between a male and a female. And then I had, at the age of 16, to come out as a Christian to my three activist gay parents, and they kicked me out for a while. Eventually, they let me back in. I went to go be a pastor, uh, and, and I was on staff at Shepherd Church, where I'm on staff now. I was on staff there for 11 years, moved to go preach in Dallas, Texas. And uh, while I was there, my mom and dad moved there separately of one another. My mom's partner had died uh, from cancer before that. But my mom and dad moved down there to be closer to our family and then asked if they could attend the church I was preaching at, which I was like, of course. And the people at this church treated them well. They treated them like people, not like projects. And about two or three weeks before we moved back to Southern California, 
at the ages of six, nine, seventy, my mom and dad gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And that, that's kind of my, my perspective. And now I, uh, I write on that, and I also help churches and schools and ministries, but especially churches, um, develop system, ministry systems and processes that will honor what they believe, but create room for LGBTQ people so they can hear the gospel and, and trust Jesus. You know, I think your story is, is so important to be told because it pulls us back from you know, we were we're talking about all the controversies in the schools and with the pride stuff here in Southern California, Dodger Stadium and Target. And there is a lot of frustration, a lot of concern about kids. And I think a lot of that is legitimate. But behind a lot of behind all of that are regular people, you know, or they're people who need Jesus. And that gets lost. That gets lost in so much of this, doesn't it? It does get lost. And I think that's where we need to learn how to distinguish between people and ideas. And too often, it's kind of like, you know how uh, people respond a certain way on social media that they would never respond to a person's face. Right, people are insanely mean on social media. They'd never do that in person. No, they would never do that on purpose because it's kind of like also road rage when you're driving. It's almost like you dehumanize it. There's not a person behind that, it's just, a thing. It's a car. Same thing with when people respond on social media. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, um, legitimate political concerns can come to represent people, except that's not the representation of people. People, are, no matter how uh, much they've messed up, no matter who they are, um, no matter if they've got everything together, everybody is made in the image and likeness of God. Everybody is someone God created and Jesus died for. And I think we do forget that. Yeah. My guest is Caleb Kaltenbach. He's the author of Messy Grace, and he just told us his story in Messy Truth. Uh, Messy Truth is your uh, your current book, is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, he just told us his story about how he was raised in a family, and you had uh, two moms who were lesbian, right? And then a, a gay uh, man was a part of that relationship. How did that work? Well, my my mom and dad had me. They were married, and then they divorced. Right. And my dad remained in Columbia, my mom and her partner moved to Kansas City. And so I, I would go back and forth. Scott, kind of like, a, you know, I mean, it's a divorce house. It, yeah. it was like my mom. My mom and Vera were never married, but they were practically married. They were together for 22 years until Vera died from cancer. Okay. And and the, your mom and your dad, they both got saved later in the story, in your story? Yeah. So they started attending the church that I was preaching at, and— I remember when they first asked me, I said, well, of course, but you know what I believe about, you know, right. <laughs> you know what I believe about, <laughs> about, um, you know, the, the relationship and, and just the, some of the values that you've embraced. And they said, yeah, but do you think people would want us to go? I said, absolutely. I said, now, don't get me wrong. Every church has weirdos. And you know that, Scott, you've been seeing pastor. Oh, yeah, every but church I'm does. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, but I'm like, no, the, the average person is somebody that's just trying to, live life like you. So come on. And people treated them well. And, um, you know, I think here's what I think. And and you may disagree. I think that we need to make it easy for people to find Jesus. And when I say easy, I don't mean that we need to make the gospel easy. I mean, I think we need to love people and let them feel welcome so that they can hear the gospel, not only from the sermon, but in the way that we treat them. And I think we need to give people options to find Jesus because once you are a Christian, as you well know, it can be hard to be a Christian. 
and you need that community around around you. That's right. And those people were that community. I remember when I became a Christian and I was going to a Bible study as a non-Christian, the fact that those people in that Bible study knew that I wasn't saved, knew that I came from a background and a family dynamic that was different from them, the fact that they loved me regardless of that, they did make that an issue, that made it easier for me to believe that God loves me too. And that is such a powerful thing for us to remember, because people come from all kinds of different backgrounds and communities, and they're often nervous or afraid of being at a church. It's weird if you if you haven't been a part of it. You know, it's a different environment altogether. And, you know, our call is to love people and show them the gospel. I, I agree with you. We need to make the gospel easy. I think that that's one of the lessons we see in Acts uh, 15, with the council of the church saying, hey, we've made it complicated for Gentiles to come to Jesus, and we yep. need to stop that. Yep. You know, yeah. and, and that is, when it comes to uh, you know, social issues and political issues, where you need to have a voice, I think, in certain cases, you also have got to, like you said, separate people and ideas. How do you do that? I mean, what advice do you give to people who have, you know, who are passionate about some of the issues that we've got today, but also, in you know, I think that's another piece. In our life, in our relational world, I like to call it your oikos, you're going to have LGBTQ people. They're going to be your family. They're going to be your close friends or your coworkers. They're not just people on the other side of an argument. They're people you work with and see every day. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that has to be your, your focus as a disciple maker. So how do we help Christians get past whatever walls that we may have built up? Yeah, I, that that that's such a great uh, example. And I, I I would say a couple different things. I would say number one, um, you kind of made this point already, but I'll say it anyway. Number one, we need to uh, replace uh, ideas that we have, and we need to replace um, frustrations we have with people's faces. And we need to realize that probably the largest majority of LGBTQ people have never been to a club. They've never been to a rally. They've never been to a a gay bar Mm. or a lesbian's bar or anything like that. The largest majority of LGBTQ people are trying to live their life like anybody else. And as you all know, um, even in Southern California, there are a lot of um, people who are in same-sex relationships who are Republican. There are people in same-sex relationships who are in relationships, but they still, and I know this sounds different, but that just shows you that no one person is alike. I know several that are in relationships, but they will not get married because they still believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, how does that go together? I don't know. But I'm just saying that we need to try to lose the assumptions and we need to get to know people. And I, I, I call this embracing biblical empathy. And so for me, like a lot of people, when they think of empathy, they think, oh, you know, here we go again. He's just you know, loosey-goosey or whatever. No, that's not what I'm saying. I would make the argument that God is the most empathetic being in existence. When I say empathy, I'm referring to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 38 through 48. If somebody forces you to go one mile, go with them two. You know, Mm -hmm. you can't walk a mile in somebody's shoes, but you can walk miles next to people. Yeah. Okay. And empathy is not agreeing with somebody's opinion or decision or view. It is not rejecting them. It is acknowledging their reality or their perception. It is walking alongside of them. It is trying to be a guide and trying to help them, not trying to be greater than or less than, 
but trying to help them. And I see that in God. Jesus's name is God with us. Uh, we learn from Romans 5, 8 through 9, that while Christ, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God was pursuing us before we were even born. God knew about us. Right. And God pursued us even when we didn't like him. And God is, is still there with us, even in our lowest moment. That's empathy. God didn't agree with what we were doing, but he loved us enough to still pursue us. And I think we need to realize that the same grace that we've been given, we have to pay forward. And so that's what I call embracing biblical empathy, is you walk alongside of people so, and, so that you earn the right to be one of the first people they text or call, contact, whenever life hits the bottom of the barrel. Because that's the moment when you can begin to tell them about Jesus. I think that matters a lot, and we have to remember that. It's everything. You know, I had uh, uh, a friend, and he was gay, and we were in this, um, what was it called? It's a, it's like a professional group where you go to the group, and you talk about what you do, and you try to build business for each other. Oh, the networking. Um, networking group, right? And part of the, if you're in a networking group ever, you you get together with everybody in the group and you get to know each other. And it's actually very fun if you're in a good one. And uh, it's beneficial, you know, to your business. Well, this guy and I became pretty good friends and I took him out to coffee and we're sitting there. And of course, I'm telling him I'm a pastor of uh, the First Baptist Church of San Diego and all of this. And, you know, he said to me, he said, you know, I feel like that most people who believe what you believe would never sit down with me and have coffee in public. And, you know, it, it just struck me. So, and we're, we're there kind of as, you know, we, we're friends, but it's really a business thing that we're doing. And he was grateful for that. We're still friends uh, just because we, we did that. And, you know, I think people need to hear that because I believe that people, particularly in LGBTQ, but maybe other groups, feel like Christians just don't want them around, period. Right, and right. Th- that cannot be what we do. Can you stay with me over the break? Oh, please. All right, we got to take a break. This is uh, Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Caleb Kaltenbach. He's the research pastor at Shepherd Church and the founder founder of the Messy Grace Group. And uh, if you want to give a call, you can call 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Pastor Scott Show will be back as the Friday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. We'll do Open Line Friday a little bit later. Right now, my guest is Caleb Kaltenbach. He's the research pastor at Shepherd Church in Los Angeles and founder of the Messy Grace Group. Before the break, he told his story of being raised by um, people in LGBTQ community, his, uh, his mom and her partner, and also a gay man who was a part of that. And uh, in the long story, he moved from a place of believing that Christians hated gay people because of what he saw from a lot of Christian behavior to getting saved himself, getting kicked out of the, uh, I guess you got kicked out of the house or something, right, uh, Caleb, and then welcomed yes. back in. And then you went to seminary, you became a pastor, and uh, later your father and your mother got saved. Yep, they and, did. And you know what? I think when we hear that story, there's so many things that are that are a part of that, but sometimes I feel like we give up on people who are seemingly lost in their sin, and we think, well, that person can never get saved. And, I think that's go ahead. exactly what we think. Yeah. And, no, I think that's exactly what we think. Yeah. 
And I think we do that certainly with a lot of different issues, but maybe especially with the LGBTQ issue. Um, and and moving forward, we have some calls who uh, may have a question or, or comment for you. The number is 888-528-2557. When we think about our actions as Christians, you know, what are some things that churches can do or church people can do that will really help remind us that we need to love uh, people so that they know Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'll comment on that. Sorry, I thought. Um, I think that we need to remember Jesus's, you know, greatest command, uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Um, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we also need to remember what Paul said in Romans 13, 8 through 10, and Galatians 5, 14. In both, he said that loving your neighbor fulfills the law. Now, a lot of people have asked, well, how in the world is that true? Because why didn't Paul mention loving God and loving your neighbor fulfills the law? And number one, I think that Paul knew that his people he's writing to love God. But I also think maybe he was saying that part of the way that we do love God with our heart, soul, and mind is loving our neighbor as ourself and treating them graciously. Because God gets the most glory when people far from him become followers of him. That's right. And and that's what we're here to do. So I think what people struggle with is in our culture today, loving somebody seems to be equated with agreeing with them about everything. And yeah. you know, people will say, well, if you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. That's where we've gone, I think, with that word. You know, what are some ways that Christians can love other people, particularly LGBTQ people, without shifting their beliefs? What's some, you know, is there, is there a way to communicate, hey, I still love you, that's effective? You know, I think the, the old way was, you know, love the, love the sinner, hate the sin. But when the sinner and the sin feel like they're the same identity, then it doesn't work, right? What's, yeah. what's a way to communicate that to an LGBTQ person that we work with or in our family, in our life? I think one way to communicate that is to um, never give up on the relationship. I think that's a way. I think another way is by is by consistently serving that person, doing kind things for them, mm. um, doing things that are unexpected for them, um, not expecting them to always say thank you, but trying to go out of your way so that they know that you are somebody that cares. I think another way that we do this is we I think sometimes when we meet somebody or we find out that somebody we love is in a same-sex relationship or something like that, we feel like there's like a time schedule of when we need to have a, a difficult conversation with them about what God says about sexuality or gender or whatever else. And I think we need to get that time stamp out of our head because here's what I believe. Every single time something like that has happened to me and I've met somebody who is uh, – some way, shape, or form, LGBTQ, that conversation has eventually come up. And when they have that conversation, they want to know what I believe. That conversation always goes better when they're the ones who bring it up to me. Mm. And that's never not happened. They have always brought it up, right? especially when they find out that I'm a Christian. And that conversation goes well when I've already been investing in my relationship with them doing content, listening to them, not even immediately trying to tell them about what I believe or anything like that. Because my very first concern 
above everything else is wanting them to know Jesus. Because when they start believing in him, at least then we have some common ground to begin to talk about what holy living looks like. The relationship has got to come before the rules, kind of like what Paul writes in Romans 4. Because when the rules come before the relationship, people aren't following God and living for him because of devotion. They're doing it out of obligation, and obligation always breeds resentment. That's right. That's absolutely right. You know, uh, Paul or Peter writes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. It's really what you just said, is that you're going to get asked eventually what you believe. Mm -hmm. And that happens when you have a friendship. Uh, Absolutely. It happens when there's some trust built there. Uh, I've had the same experience. I've never not been asked by any LGBTQ person I know. (laughs) They eventually are going to ask you. Um, yeah. what you think. And if the relationship, if they know, if they trust that you, you already know that about them and you're still their friend, it opens that door. Uh, Absolutely. I, you know, I think that's a good thing. Let me take a call here. Listen to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Caleb Kaltenbach and uh, Jocelyn in Ontario. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi. Hi, Jocelyn. I'm How are so you? I'm so excited to get this. This is so cool. I, I have always felt like the lone stranger in this because I'm a Christian um, my daughter was raised in church. Uh, a lot, a lot of stuff has happened in our family, but she um, did uh, come out and say she was well, bi or whatever. But she is married to a woman now. Mm. Um, they still live in my home. I get a lot of ridicule, kind of from some family members that are also Christian. You know, like you got to get them out and that kind of thing. But. That is so wrong. I mean, you just got to love them. How can you not love? I mean, I have had many of her friends in my home because they were kicked out because they said they were gay. Um, You just love them. You show them Christ through loving them. And when they ask, you know, they know where I stand. They know what the Word of God says. But that's the Holy Spirit that works in their heart, not me. You know, know, uh, I don't sit there and... In, uh, in, oh, uh, this is just so awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Jocelyn, for calling. You know, Caleb, it, it reminds me of, uh, I think, the first line in your book. Thanks for calling, Jocelyn. Your first line in the book is, um, what do we do now, I think is what it is. You know, or, or what do we do with this? We, people are, are in situations with family or friends where they have to ask themselves, um, what do I do? And this is uncharted territory for a lot of people. Oh, it's unbelievably uncharted territory. And Scott, have you ever had this happen where somebody asks for, you're a father, right, Scott? Yeah. You're a dad. So have you ever had this happen where somebody in your church or a friend will ask you for parenting advice and you give it, but then a similar situation happens with your kid and you can't remember anything? Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. It's always, you can't. It's easier to give other people advice for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. One of the reasons why I can't remember the advice that I gave is because I'm so emotionally attached mm-hmm. to my kids. Yeah. And, you know, emotions are important, but emotions can also cloud clarity. Yeah. And and that's because and I I I've had I know several um, LGBTQ students um, who have come out to their parents and they're expecting their parents to be excited about it. And I'm like, well, you know what your parents believe. Right. And I don't think you should get ready for this warm, you know, you know, elated happiness. Now, there are some times where, you know, the conversation goes as well as could be expected. But there are some times when the parents don't always react well. Yeah. And the kids will come back and they'll get mad. They'll be mad. and They'll be like, I just 
can't believe my parents did this. And I, you know, what do they think? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, hold on chief. Okay. Let, let's, let's talk real quick. I'm like, first of all, you know, you decided to have this conversation with them out of nowhere. That's number one. Number two, how long did it take you to think this about yourself? Um, why don't you give them that same margin to really process? Number three, you knew what they believed. Number four, don't force them back into the same closet that you just came out of, you know? Mm. And there's a lot of misunderstandings between parents and uh, young people or kids because parents immediately want to talk about this from a logical truth-based perspective and a lot of kids students especially are coming at this from an emotionally based perspective and they're two ships passing in the night and so one of my favorite passages in first corinthians scott is first corinthians 9 19 through 23 where paul says that i become all things to all people and i think what paul is basically telling us there is that we need to meet people where they're at and if my kid is telling me something like this, and I know it's coming from an emotional place, then I'm going to meet them on an emotional level. I'm going to try to meet them where they're at. And a lot of the times parents react. And I get it. That reaction, yeah, yeah. they don't mean to act like that, but it yeah, comes yeah. from fear because of how much they love their kids. That's right. But I think that's where we need to step back and pause and even say a little prayer and respond and just let God take over and meet our kids in an emotional place instead of expecting them to come up to where we're, I mean, to meet us at a logical, uh, truth-based place. It's so hard to be prepared for for things like this or things that you uh, hope never happen or suspect you know might happen, but to get prepared. And it's so hard to do it in a way that is effective because people on both sides are going to have expectations so often that are wrong. You know, or you might absolutely you might respond in a way that that emotionally meets them for what where they are, but it's not really the right thing to describe how you actually feel. So now you have absolutely. now you have a disconnect because you responded in a way that says, "Oh, it's okay, and I love you no matter what," which is all good, but deep down you're screaming. Um, so and it's going to come out. Eventually. This is where I, oh, it's going to come out eventually. Yeah, and this is where I tell parents I try to give this advice that. Um, sorry about that. I try to give parents this advice. I try to tell parents, Hey, if, um, I try to tell them, Hey, if you, when your kids come out to you, here's number one, what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to, um, I don't want you to try to get them counseling in that moment. I don't want you to suggest Bible verses. I don't want you to try to figure out what happened. I don't want you to get mad, if at all possible. I don't want you to start crying, if at all possible. These are the things that I don't want you to do. What I want you to do, here's what you do. I want you to listen. I want you to listen. I want you to listen. I want you to pray to yourself. And then when they're done talking, I want you to say, I want you to know how much I love you, no matter what. Yeah. Nothing will ever change that. You are always my son. You are always my daughter. I am always in your corner. I love you so incredibly much. That's what I want you to do. It's a uh, and it's uh, it's amazing how that works. And look at this conversation as a marathon of conversations, not just one. And that allows you 
to be to plan and to respond more instead of react. That's right. Caleb, I'm over on a break. Can you stay or are you out of time today? We oh, I'm, I'm here. All right. As well, we'll keep want. you for one more segment here. And I want to make sure people know about uh, your book and how to get uh, connected and uh, take a couple calls. The number is 888-528-2557. Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Caleb Kaltenbach. His book is Messy Truth. We'll be back as the Friday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. My guest is Caleb Kaltenbach, and he is the founder of the Messy Grace Group, where he helps churches love and foster community with LGBTQ individuals without sacrificing theological convictions. And he is the author of Messy Truth uh, and Messy Grace, where he discusses being raised in the LGBTQ community, following Jesus, and how loving others doesn't require shifting beliefs. The number is 888-528-2557. If you have a question for Caleb, let's go to... uh, Are you still with me there, Caleb? I'm still here. All right, make sure that you're still there. Otherwise, I'll talk to this guy. That'll be fine. Uh, BJ in Inglewood, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Pastor Scott, it's me, B.J. Douglas, live. I look at your picture. You are a comedian. You should have been the Bing. You could have beat him. I should you. have. I should have what? The actor, the player. He's called the Bing. I don't know if you, you have you ever seen him. Oh, Mr. Bean. You think I look? Yeah, you, you, you think you, I look like Mr. Bean? That's funny. Uh, uh, you are. You, I, I've been checking you out, and you know I love you more than anybody because of your attitude. Um, my. <laughs> I don't know if you know, I do schools, and I have my own organization. It's called the United Rangers of America. All right. Do you have a question about LGBTQ or a comment for Caleb Kaltenbach? Yes, Caleb. We're going to have to learn how to deal with it, because when I go to the schools now, it's it's like, and I'm learning, because I have to, I've embraced more of them than anyone, and it makes me feel good. When they do it, when they can come to me and say, I want to be like you. That's what they tell me. Say, I want to be like you. And it just, I, I can't even explain it, express it with words. But we have to embrace them. They're here and they're multiplying. So what should we do, Pastor? Thank you, BJ, for your call. You know, Caleb, part of what your, your ministry is about is helping foster community with LGBTQ people without sacrificing our theological convictions as Christians. You know, what would you say to BJ, who's around kids all the time? How do we embrace? We've been talking about that already this hour, but maybe what would you add? Well, first of all, I would say thank you, BJ, for loving kids so much and being available. We need more people that have a heart like that, dude. So I, I would, first of all, say thank you, because we need more of that. Um, second of all, how do we embrace? Well, we've already talked about distinguishing people from ideas. We've already talked about uh, walking alongside of people, loving people no matter what. Um, but I think when it comes to students, um, I think one of the best ways you can help students is to be consistent. Um, I, I have two teenagers. I also speak at a lot of camps and student camps and conferences. And I'm also a student ministry volunteer in my church, Shepherd Church, besides being on staff. And I can tell you this, leading a small group, and I can tell you this as a father, one of the best things for my kids is having a really good student ministry. And our student ministry at Shepherd, I think, 
is one of the best around, if not the best. And I love it because I really feel like my church partners with me to help teach my kids, my students about Christ-centered values. They love them where they're at. Mm. And my kids love their small group leaders, my daughter and son. I have their small group leaders' cell phone numbers. I can call them, let them know that my kids are having a bad day. Whenever something big is going on, I let them know because as kids get older and become teenagers, actually parents lose influence. You have more influence when they're younger. When they get older, you have less influence. And so it's important to partner with your church because that small group leader or that youth pastor, whoever else, is going to have probably to some degree more influence than even you. Like you can tell your kids what to do, but they have more influence. And then if that goes well, as your kids get older, you know, after they get out of college and they need money again, now you have influence again. <laughs> but the thing is, is, is partnering with your church. That's what I would say. Partner with your church because it makes all the difference in the world. Now, part of your ministry, and we only have a few minutes left. I want people to to know how to reach out to you. You know, you're talking about partnering with your church and particularly youth ministry. When I've worked with our youth ministry, we're we're dealing with these issues all the time. Our youth directors are always dealing with these issues. They're not always dealt with in a big church, for lack of a bigger term. Um, and some churches no. aren't really sure how to do this. If I'm listening and I'm saying, how can I help my church connect better here, um, particularly with kids? What's the best path to do that? Better church. I, I think the best path is to, if you feel like they're going to have a difficult time connecting with your church, I think the best thing to do is to meet one-on-one with somebody from the youth department at your church, the student ministry department, or the kids ministry department, however old your kid is, and, and just be honest about where your kid is in their spiritual walk or lack thereof so that they know because they can help place your kid in a small group with a leader that's very understanding, very empathetic, but also very biblically sound. So I think when we have communication with a student ministry department or a children's ministry department with those people, I think that gives them more wherewithal to be able to love our kids well, especially when they first meet them. And I know when parents do that at our student ministry, our team goes out of their way to be there for them, you know, already knows the student's name, make sure other people know, introduces the students to other students. So that student is not just walking around looking like, you know, I don't know what's going on here and I feel alone. So I I think that's one of the best things you can do. There's a lot of work that we have to do there, I think, in our churches and to do two things, to be able to address it, but to to hold firm to convictions without being uh, mean, (laughs) without, without, you're going to turn people off with your convictions. That's going to happen because they're rejecting Christ. But for people you know who, who was, aren't, who are looking for community, which is where I think a lot of the kids are, right? That's I think that's a lot of the, the trans thing where they're not really trans. They're just looking for acceptance and community somewhere. Yeah, yeah, because I think that human beings, a.k.a. you and me and everybody else, and if somebody is listening, they're not a human being, I'd love to talk to them. Yeah. But I think for human beings, we will do whatever we can to avoid rejection. Yeah, I think you And right. that means that we will find whatever group that we can. And so depending on the group that we're in, some of the times that means that we could change our identity. That means that we can even think ourselves into without even knowing it. One of the things I tell students is when you place your identity in Christ, you don't have to protect it anymore. He does. That allows you to be an ordinary person through whom which God does extraordinary things. 
because he's got your identity. And so I think that to be able to relate the truth and love, you know, like Ephesians 4.15 says and so on, I think that, you know, looking at Jesus as the example is great. Looking at how he um, handled the woman at the well in John chapter 4, I mean, you look at how he masterfully related with her, and then look at uh, the woman kind of in John 8, verses 1 through 11. I mean, Jesus could have thrown a stone at her, and he didn't. He could have thrown a stone at the Pharisees, and he didn't. Yeah. He gave her another chance. Uh, my guest is Caleb Kaltenbach. Caleb, we're, we're down to like a minute. Somebody's asking here, uh, do you go to a gay wedding? What Do you, know, you, do you have a 30-second answer for that? It's a more complicated question than that. I, I think it depends. I would never officiate a gay wedding. Yeah. But I attend. I have in the past. It depends on who. I I don't say congratulations. I say thank you for inviting me. The only reason why I go is because I want to keep influence with that person. Um, and be focused on their they soul. They already know what I believe. Right. Yeah. They already yeah. know what I believe. I think but, I hope I hope that helps answer that question. There's it's a lot more nuance than that, but that's a pretty good quick summary, Caleb. You know, I think of what's helpful for people. We are out of time here. Caleb, uh, Caleb Kaltenbach, thank you for joining me. What's the best way for people to reach you? Go to CalebKaltenbach.com or you, go to ShepherdChurch.com. All right. And how do you spell Kaltenbach? K-A-L-T-E-N-B-A-C-H. All right. And uh, Caleb, I really appreciate you being on. We'll have you on again. This subject is hugely important. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Caleb, for joining me. All right, everybody, welcome. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back in the next hour with Open Phone Friday. We'll talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about. We'll take your questions that you might still have about this subject as well. And uh, thank you, Caleb, for being with us. You can get the podcast uh, of this episode. Maybe you want to send it to a friend. Maybe this is an important one for you. Go to kkla.com or find the Pastor Scott Show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and check it out. We'll be back with Hour 2 and Open Line Friday as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned.